I'm Scott Lucas. This is World Unfiltered. It's often been the case that Ukraine pops up in our headlines, but not necessarily because of events just for Ukrainians, but Ukraine's connections with other groups and other powers. So for example, the world paid attention in 2004 when there was an orange revolution that challenged an election that many saw as fraudulent, but it was framed as the orange revolution and became part of a number of supposed revolutions in former Soviet states and in other areas of the world. Then the world's attention was galvanized 10 years later by a revolution against a different president, the pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych, forced from power by the Maiden Square revolution. But of course, that revolution in turn was bound up with Russia's quick response, the annexation of the Crimea and support for separatists in Eastern Ukraine in a conflict which became increasingly deadly and damaging. And then in 2019, at least for some people, Ukraine came back again when yet another president, Vladimir Zelensky, played a key role in the act of a man named Donald Trump, that theater in which Trump actually blackmailed Ukraine to try to dish dirt on his opponent in the US election in 2020, Joe Biden. While Trump is gone now, Biden is president, but Ukraine still faces the issues of Crimea, the Donbass region in the east, and of course, Russia, which has played a key part in this ongoing issue by annexing Crimea and arguably trying to split Ukraine by supporting separatists in the east. But there are other issues in Ukraine as well. Decades talking about corruption. So where are we now with that? Where are we with an economy which contracted 4% last year in, if I might reflect, is a country with 41 and a half million people and is the second largest in territorial size after Russia on the European continent. Well, to help me out today, to help all of us out today, I turn to Viktor Andrusiv. Viktor is the former executive director. He's still the board member of the Ukraine Institute of the Future. And he's the head of the Kiev School of, P of Public Administration. He's involved with a number of NGOs that are trying to find a better way forward for the country. And he also has on the ground experience in Eastern Ukraine at that type of conflict in 2015, 2016, working with the Donetsk Military Civil, uh, Civil, Civil Administration for Humanitarian Affairs. Victor, thank you Hello. for joining us. Yes, hello. If I could start with a basic question to help me out, maybe help a lot of viewers out. Why should we care about what happens in Ukraine? Okay. So uh, in our global world, uh, we are now using some even global technology to speak to each other. Uh, there is uh, the number of places we can don't care uh, reduces every year. But uh, what is really important, you, you cannot... Uh, allow to you uh, to don't care of the uh, state uh, which was previously very developed because when we talk of ukraine we talk not of of, of the territory we talk of the nuclear plants we have four nuclear plants around 15 nuclear blocks uh, we talk of a huge army and huge arsenal of the missiles tanks and, and, and so on. And, and Ukraine was uh, one of the biggest producers of, of weapons in the world. 
and uh, before the 14 we were as one uh, in the five uh, most uh, world exporters of weapon uh, and all this is in europe it's it's in europe it's not somewhere in latin america or no in uh, arctica or other place it's in the europe and it's uh, it's very close you know uh, because uh, actually we have a place and i think each state has a place which is the center of europe but we have it so it means <laughs> uh, geographically we have a center of europe so uh, you cannot pay attention to this it's, it's not possible because uh, the problems which can arise from ukraine uh, cannot be local. It's, it's, they will be global uh, if we talk of the terrorist interests uh, or other things. So uh, to don't care is the worst politics. So basically, when you will look to Ukraine, there is a very simple scenarios. Uh, to make Ukraine strong with a big support of uh, West, uh, strong and independent, this is the one scenario. The second one scenario is to take Ukraine in, for example, in the European Union and take care of Ukraine inside the European Union. The second one and the most bad scenario is to send Ukraine to Russia. So uh, this is basically the three scenarios we can uh, talk of, of Ukraine. There is no scenario to, to, to take no care of Ukraine. So I guess in general, your sense in 2021, and we'll talk a little bit about the events that have led up to this, but is Europe recognizing that Ukraine is part of the continent? Are they recognizing trying to find a way forward with Ukraine? Are they doing the second, which is to push it away because it's just too much trouble because of the Russian pressure? Or is Europe, the European Union or individual European countries, are they kind of stuck in that third scenario that you don't like, which is they are neither embracing Ukraine yet not completely pushing it aside they keep it stuck in a limbo. I think this tech in process of uh, trying to find answer to the question, because actually, actually the 30 years of Ukrainian independence uh, has shown that uh, Europe is trying to find the answer to take it or not to take it, to take it partly or to take it or to help it. And it's, it changes every time. And this is the biggest problem because um, Ukraine after the Orange Revolution uh, has defined uh, her way as a part of Europe, but Europe <laughs> did not define this way, and and this caused a lot of problems inside Ukraine, uh, because if if we would have a strict uh, chance to be a member of European Union, this would create a, a huge influence on political scale. Uh, a lot of parties would accept this as a as a basics for their politics. But uh, because European Union did not decide, uh, they normally the battle was between uh, the parties who are pro-Russia and parties who are pro-European. But those who are pro-European were not so strong because the answer is more about the uh, will of Ukrainians, not about the decision of European Union. So uh, this is the problem of, of Europe itself. But I um, was making PhD on European identity, and uh, I was li I lived in in Brussels, and I know that uh, uh, that Europe itself considers as a Roman Empire of Julius Caesar. So uh, it's it means that the border is uh, where the Roman Empire ended at the east, and and this is a huge problem because 
so it's it's not uh, relevant for the situation. Uh, uh, Europe has has to decide the problem of Ukraine and the problem of Russia, and actually it's it's one problem, if to be honest. And uh, and for for last thirty years it was like so here here is the border and what is going on there is not our problem. Well, finally it will be a problem, and 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 Europe has to say uh, thank you to Ukraine that this that we still. Uh, do not bring the problem uh, ourselves or or our war with Russia or Russians in in Europe. This is actually our achievement that we did not make uh, our problems as the problems of Europe. But uh, soon or later, it will bring it will come to European uh, territory, and and you will have to do something with that because Russians already start to kill people on your territory. Let me walk this back to 2014 to this moment of the Maidan revolution that uh, succeeds in removing President Yanukovych, who is currently in Russia. There are two narratives quite often, I'm generalizing, but two narratives. One is, is that these were people who came out into Maidan in Kiev. They were tired of corruption. They were tired of effectively not getting rights, not getting recognition by the Ukrainian leadership. There's another narrative, which quite often comes from Russian outlets uh, or from some in Ukraine who say, no, that Maidan was the result of far right groups or hard right groups who uh, just as there have been far right groups in Ukraine in past decades, they were trying to hijack the country by standing against President Yanukovych. How do you explain Maidan to someone who is new to Ukraine? What is it that happened in February, 2014? Well. I was one of the leading guys who was starting the story. Um, so the obvious thing uh, was that um, Yanukovych did not understand Ukraine. And uh, he did not understand that uh, he became a president uh, thanks to democracy. Uh, he he should he should be thankful for that, not uh, not considering this as a, his result or, or some justice for him, because he was uh, thinking that his victory in two thousand four was stolen, and uh, and the problem was that that he missed this context. He he really did not uh, sort of uh, uh, that this was because of democracy and that uh, that we accepted him because I was also on the Orange Revolution and most of people who were making Maidan in 14, we were active on the previous Maidan. And, but we accepted him because of democracy, not because he was so uh, nice or he was so strong. And that was his problem. He didn't understand this. And finally, he at attacked us uh, because we accepted him as a president uh, for sure, we uh, Yushchenko or we could make uh, other things not to allow him to become a president. But he really he won the elections, and we accepted this. But uh, we, but we accepted this, understanding that the next time we will have elections, and we should do everything to remove him with elections. And when he started to attack our uh, freedom of choice, then. It was uh, for us uh, a, a key story because we were we were not waiting when he will do something with elections. 
uh, we were looking what he is doing and how he is adhering to our interest in the question of European Union, uh, in other questions, and, and in the questions of this corruption that we actually were disturbed about. He was taking no care about this. And finally, we understood that we should not wait for the final moment when he will say, okay, I won the new elections. <laughs> so uh, for sure, we, we try to push him on every stage, but uh, I cannot say that uh, situation was, I would say, revolutionary uh, because uh, I was actually starting uh, fight with Yanukovych. My family, pers uh, me personally, we were under secret service uh, investigations and uh, they control us, they try to scare us. Uh, they attacked our apartments. Uh, my car was several times beaten and, and destroyed and so on. But I didn't uh, see the revolutionary situation around myself. People were not uh, taking care of that. For them, it was like, it's my, my problems. So I decided to, to do something, so it's my problems. And the situation changed when they beat uh, people on Maidan on the 21st. Uh, because I, I was one of the leading uh, at that first protest, and we were very weak. Uh, the last days, and the day where people were beaten, uh, I have to say that we we actually we decided to to close the protest because every day every day we got uh, less and less people on protest, and we had no resources to continue, and we decided to to stop the protest and uh, to create a, a huge movement and to go all around Ukraine to mobilize people, and if he would not do that, he would fail to launch a Maidan. But after uh, he, after the spe special troops, forces of, of police beat it, uh, well, students, young people, and, and so on, then it was, uh, it was like very un injustice for people. Yeah? So it was about that you are no more secure, that this can happen to you. And the next day, in, in, in two days, I saw, well, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people are go were going to Maidan. And this is were not some warriors, I would say some, some representatives of, of the movements. Is if we will take some movements, they were very short, short percent, percent of, of them participating. It was normal people, teachers, uh, uh, doctors, uh, simple workers of different business and, and so on. So it was, they were scared because uh, they, they see that this can happen to them. There is no more rule of law, no more elections, so nothing. Will, there is nothing anymore. And the Maidan is always a place in Ukraine where you can come and you will be strong there because when a million people stay there, then nothing will happen to you. So for sure uh, was also a game inside the Yanukovych team because most of the channels, uh, television channels, which are under control of the oligarchs, uh, they showed uh, this beating of the students. If they would not do that, for sure, many people would not uh, find out that information. It, it, it was not so popular to use uh, Facebook uh, at that time. So this was the reason, I think, that uh, he was uh, not respecting our choice to change him. Did you anticipate or did those around you anticipate Russia's response to this? would be to annex Crimea and to move so aggressively in the east to try to separate that off from Kiev? Uh, 
Maidan itself uh, was total unpredictable story um, because um, when you predict something, you should have some some constants. Um, and what we had on the Maidan, we have very strong people and active, and we have very weak leadership. So the leaders were just for all of us. They were just face palm, <laughs> but we had no others, and uh, we had to accept accept this. Uh, but but really, we we consider them as a very weak. And finally, they lost to Poroshenko because of uh, Poroshenko was a little bit uh, aside of them. Mm -hmm. And the Klitschko, Yatsenyuk, and Tjahnibok, they lost. Uh, but so from this position, we could not predict any situation because leadership is weak and uh, Maidan is stronger than leadership. And I have to say that our leaders always wanted to have agreement with Yanukovych. They always were looking for some agreement with Yanukovych and to stop Maidan. Uh, and they always failed because you cannot come to people and say, okay, we have an agreement. This is not possible. And, and uh, they were afraid of this even more than of Yanukovych. Uh, as a story, uh, for sure, Maidan itself, after three months, was, uh, was at, at, at the end itself, because we cannot just stay and, and eat food and then and, and stay. We, we have to move. So every time the new level of violence emerged and, uh, and you, you never know what will be the next. So we, we, didn't, we didn't predict any, anything about Crimea because uh, we were not in positions that we consider that we can win. Uh, for us, the key point was to survive. And, and when they attacked us at the 18th of the February, I was, I was uh, under this attack. And uh, so we have, to, we have to evacuate a lot of people from Maidan uh, and, and, and so on. But, but this was the time, and I, I remember that, when we, when we took weapon in, in the hands. So we were full of weapon uh, in the morning of the 19th. And when this attack started, the problem was that people who run after this uh, and, and this hour, um, we call them Nebesnia Sotnia, this hundred people that were died, killed. Uh, actually, these people had no weapon because they were at the front line. And the weapon and other things were just coming from other region. So they normally were at the, at the backyard uh, of the Maidan. And uh, they already knew about uh, that we already also have weapon. And when the special troops starts running, and also they started running because uh, they were on the um, uh, shots from the Maidan uh, people. And they start, because of that, they start to run. And this front line, people with no any weapon and uh, any protection, they just follow them, they run after them. And, and then the special troops start to kill them. So actually, we were not in position. We were more thinking of the civil war, the real civil war. Uh, and also Yanukovych, he mobilized army uh, to, to come and uh, und undertake Maidan, but they refused to do that. Uh, so we were only thinking of that. So then uh, when everything happened, for, for all of us, it was a surprise. When, when we saw uh, these uh, troops escaping from Kyiv, uh, Yanukovych uh, was running away. Besides the agreements he got from the leaders of, of the Maidan, 
and so uh, you, you have to know that actually Europeans were promoting the agreement and Mr. Sikorsky, who was a representative of European Union, he was saying to us uh, that you have to make an agreement with Yanukovych or otherwise you, you will have so much violence that you will finally lose. And I remember because I was representing the young political movement and uh, our, our leader said to him, this is not the question of what you expect. The situation no more is under control of anybody. We will go in war. We will, we will fight because we lost a hundred people. I personally lost to my friends and uh, we, we, go, we go for war. We will not accept any agreements. And this happened in the evening with these three leaders came to say that, okay, we have an agreement. And people say no. And then this guy Parasuk went, went and said, no, we will start war. And, 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 and then Nikovic started to escape and, and, and we captured the power. For, uh, it was for us a total surprise. Also, we did not expect that he will, and Putin was not expecting this, that he will expect from Ukraine. Because their scenario basically was not to take Crimea. They, they had no what for. They have huge regions with big support, like Kharkiv is a million city people. Dnipropetrovsk is also a million and a half people. Donetsk is a huge territory where they had the control and, and real support of people. And so they expected to take under control these regions. Odessa is the same. And uh, because Yanukovych was legitimate president, so uh, the Russians wanted to play in this game. So we have the legitimate president, he controls half of Ukraine, and your half, you are the rebels. And they wanted uh, to play this game with West, so you support the rebels. And uh, But Yanukovych escaped, and this was a surprise for them. They, they were totally shocked. And, and, uh, and actually they had no, uh, and, and if you remember, it, they, they had the Olympi Olympic Games in Sochi. So it, it, for them, it was very difficult to decide. And I think that they, uh, they were totally unprepared. And, and later, how the war started and other things showed that they were actually totally not organized for that. They were not expected to take Crimea because uh, they planned, for example, referendum for 26, then they moved it for 16. Uh, the same, they didn't know what to do with Donbass. And, and when Hirkin came, it was also a surprise for them because Girkin came and uh, captured the city. And this was a surprise for them that the, the small group of people can come and capture the city. So they decided to involve. So it, it, no, nobody was any, predicting anything. And, and the, the, the game and the relations were appearing at all the new stage. Yeah, so nobody, in other words, could really plan. Everybody is sort of reacting. Yes, yes, it's all, all, all I think I consider the, all, all what has happened is, is just a reaction of everybody to all of, all of this. Yeah. So let me then move it forward. Here we are in, in 2021. Is it now simply the case that, that Crimea is, by force of annexation, is Russian territory? Is there any way that Crimea could return to Ukraine in the near future? Uh, no, it's not possible. Uh, even will Russia, if Russia will dissolve tomorrow, this will be not possible. Um, the first problem is that you have to understand that this is a big difference between what is going on in uh, Donetsk region uh, of Ukraine and what is uh, with Crimea. Crimea is ethnic Russia uh, territory. So they have a majority of 60% of population of Russians. 
Uh, Crimean Tatars consider only 13% of population and Ukrainians only around 20%. So it was ethnically Russian territory. Uh, Russians for many years were supporting the Crimea and you have to understand that for Putin, uh, Putin is a, a man who likes some mysterious uh, and, and uh, mythos things, science, I would say. And for them, uh, Crimea is a, an epic story because Crimea, the war of Crimea, of Crimea in uh, 1854, uh, 56, uh, for them, it was the first time the Russia was against the West. And um, this for Putin is a, a very mysterious sign to capture Crimea back. It's, it's a, a puzzle to his ideology that we are different, yes? So we already had this in the history. And uh, the Russians, uh, they do, do not treat uh, Crimean war as a lose. That was normally they, lose, they lost, but the situation was really difficult and for allies. And uh, the, so they finally won, but it was not a victory at a glance, I would say. And the Russians treat this as a first fight with the West, which actually was for them a good. They consider this a, a good war for them. Uh, but, but I would say that uh, the war in which they actually shown their force, and for them it's important that we were strong in that uh, in that war. And uh, so for Putin, uh, it, it it was ideological thing to take it back, and uh, he had all the uh, positions because uh, uh, Russian ethnic minority was the biggest one in in the Crimea. So the problem for us is uh, with what we can come to them now. Uh, it would be wrong to invade them with uh, war, with uh, some military uh, forces. And actually it's hard to do because uh, I would say that Crimea is now the most militarized territory in Europe. So they have so much weapons that I do not that the European uh, overall have. <laughs> so, such so, so, so many tanks and, and, fly, and planes and, and other things. Uh, and, and the missiles actually, they placed uh, their uh, continental missiles, a lot of, a lot of them. So uh, for us, it's a question of dialogue. It's a question of um, infrastructure because uh, for sure we control the water and uh, they have problems now, huge problems with the water. And I expect actually that Russians will go for conflict uh, because they, the war is real problem now. They have a uh, few hours uh, per day uh, that people can get water in, in the houses. Uh, so uh, for us, it's anyway, it's a long dialogue and it's a huge negotiations, how they will join Ukraine. And this is not, they cannot come as a normal region because again, they have a majority of Russians there. So I do not expect the, the quick solution of the story. You indicate the situation is different in uh, the Donbass region, which includes Donetsk in yeah. eastern Ukraine. Yeah, but, yeah, the difference is actually that in, Don, in Donbass, we don't have uh, so big Russian minority. Actually, they have around 17% of population. So ethnic Russians, they, they are some around 17%, uh, uh, but uh, we have majority of Russian-speaking people there. 
but they do not identify themselves as, uh, as Russians. 70% uh, of population of Donbas, a uh, few months before the war, identified themselves as Ukrainians. So what is the way forward? You know, we're, we're almost, it feels like a state of limbo over Donbass. We've had this ongoing, supposedly Minsk process going on for years between Russia, the Europeans, the Americans are involved, but you have this ongoing conflict, this ongoing war that's going there. Is there any way to reach an accommodation with the Russians? Do you simply just have to push them back by force? How, in other words, do you bring that eastern part of Ukraine back into a stable relationship with the rest of the country? Well, so the, the also situation is also different about what I say. If tomorrow will Russia dissolve, well, the Donbas will be captured by us. So we can do that because we we know that the majority of people want a normal life, and they, if we will come, they will support us. Okay. Uh, not not today for sure because they scared or or they are under Russian some propaganda but normally they are not so uh, as as in Crimea because they are really ethnic ethnic Russians and so as an ideology they are total totally Russian there is not not this is not the case for Donbas but uh, Donbas is a problem um, not of Ukraine it's so it's uh, this is a problem on territory of Ukraine but this is a geopolitical problem. Uh, it's a question about the relations between Russia and, and West. So the, this is the reason of the conflict. So when the Putin uh, lost uh, control with Yanukovych, he had to tackle control with Donbass. So because Crimea was annexed, so it will be not bring back. And then for Putin, the story is closed. The Donbass, uh, he was not going to take Donbass uh, to Russia. Yeah, he created this problem that Ukraine could not move. At, at the same time, he can use this uh, problem to make a pressure on the European Union and on the West. Yes, because if the, the war will start tomorrow again, huge military operations, a lot of uh, replaced people, refugees, and then so on, this will be the problem of, 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 of Europe. And he's doing the same in Syria. Uh, he's active in Syria because he's doing the same. So and this is a card for him that he can use for bargaining with the West or playing his own games with the West. You have to understand that Putin is not considering himself as a, another uh, polos of the world. Yes, he is. He actually considers himself as a part of, of the West civilization, but he wants a special place in that uh, table because uh, United States has a special place. And he says, okay, I want also the special place. So he want to be at the table and with, but with a special place. And, uh, and, and before uh, this story will not solve, the Donbass problem also cannot solve. It, it doesn't matter what we sign. It, it's, it's nothing was done from all the documents we signed. So uh, they cannot move actually further because also this will take a lot of cost for them. And uh, it's more territory they need to control. And there is territories which actually you cannot rob. You know, if you can rob the territory and you can get some money from the territory, then you continue war. But if you take the poor Ukraine regions with the poor people and where most of them actually are pensioners because uh, young people uh, leave their place, places, what you would do, what you will do with that.
So they do not move further because of that, not because they cannot or because we stop them. So, uh, and, and this situation will not uh, move from any, for any side if they will not come to some agreement with the West. Or Putin will not die. It's also, I think it's going to happen more quickly than the agreement. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. I mean, if, if Putin goes, yeah. do you expect that Russia would continue in Donbass or do you think no. this is very much no. a Putin operation rather than a Russian operation? No, no, no. Russia will not continue uh, because... Uh, the problem of Putin now is that the Putin is a system himself. So it's you cannot just replace him. Because if you just replace him, you will not control the system. So this is a consequent area, the man who will come after them is, is more the, the key task for Putin. And, and he is really, he is tired of, of, of power. He wants to go away. But he wants to be sure that all he built it will be continued with also strong person. And so if he step back or he resign, um, the Russia will uh, return in 1991. And, uh, and, and here also question for us, if we will be strong enough uh, to launch something like uh, Croatia did, then we will capture the territory with the military uh, operation very quickly, two weeks, but we should be prepared for that. And, and we are not, I have to say that we are not prepared for that. But if not, then, then the question will be problematic because uh, we will have to expect what will happen under this uh, Donbass territory. Maybe some, some normal forces or people or elites will come in power under this uncertain, uncertain situation. And uh, if so, and, and then we'll go, we'll go for negotiation. But I think this will be a, a big mistake because uh, Russians, when they will again come in strong power, they will take the situation back. And for us, the only case is the quick military operations, and Russia will not interfere because this is not a strategic region for them. This is not a strategic uh, issue for them. If we would do that with Crimea, there will be a war. If we will do this with Donbas. They will, they will be not war. You, uh, you wrote two years ago uh, that in fact, when uh, you had, you know, the Institute you're working for had made an appeal to the government, the new government of President Zelensky, which was to support the autonomy in Crimea, to support uh, people in Eastern Ukraine. And you expressed your disappointment at that time that the government had not acted, had not responded. Has the government responded since then to the issues that you raised in 2019 about what to do in Eastern Ukraine? Well, nothing has changed. And uh, it's, a, it's a problem of, um, uh, of uh, our state uh, capacity, which is very low. And under Zelensky, it's also reduced. Uh, for sure, corruption killed a lot of our institution, but at the same time, uh, in Ukraine now, corruption is an institution which uh, helps us to, to live. And uh, when you cannot win from, uh, in corruption, so you, you have to find another solutions. But the problem is that when it, it, they do not treat Donbass situation properly, this is the biggest problem of Poroshenko and Zelensky. He just continued the Poroshenko's politics. Uh, Donbass differs from Ukraine uh, 
uh, with his Soviet mentality. So this is not a Soviet people. They treat reality in, in Soviet terms. They um, want to go on the huge factory. They want to have a stable salary. Uh, they don't want to be rich, but they want to have all the needs uh, closed. And, and when we talk with them, we have to speak their language. Uh, because, uh, and, and, and I was doing that when I sat there and, and I, I saw that this works. When, when we talk uh, with them about the uh, job places, about the uh, industry and about the credit politics and other things. So they're listening to us very properly so, and carefully. When we start to talk about one Ukraine, one history, one symbols, they don't understand this because they, were, they are very material people and they say, okay, so one flag, one, uh, one sign, but does it, will it make us uh, richer? <laughs> so, this, this, so this is the way they, they treat reality and, and you cannot talk to them with some ideological issues if you do not bring bread and, and butter after that. Yes, so this is the problem. So bring the bread and butter and then tell people about the ideology, how to, to make them. And uh, nothing has changed. Zelensky is uh, repeating totally Poroshenko mistakes. For example, he launched a channel for them, for people on that territory. <laughs> this is a, a, a fake channel. Uh, they do not cover uh, the territory of, of uh, occupied. Uh, and the problem is actually not about the channel, not about covering. People are not watching Ukrainian channels. They have access, they have internet. They don't just, they don't watch it because you have to bring a content which is actually interesting for them. So, and, and if you just launch a channel, so it's a, you know, it's, a, it's just some fake. And actually the Poroshenko did this and, and this was not working. And again, this started the same story started Zelensky. And so it's like I say, uh, repeated uh, stupidness, which is totally repeated seven years already. Let me ask, I guess, a challenging question to try to bring this together. Um, there was, you know, Maidan was a revolution or a movement in part against corruption. Uh, but that corruption you've indicated continued under President Poroshenko. It's continued under President Zelensky. The questions of bread and butter are issues that are still there under Poroshenko, under Zelensky. Did Maidan achieve anything? Uh, well, look, I have to explain you something about corruption. Uh, we uh, won uh, from corruption in 2014. And actually, we won it for already seven years. Uh, the problem is that um, people uh, wrong treat uh, word corruption. So we, we really, there is no more corruption like Yanukovych did. Yeah, we have one of the best uh, system in the world of the public procurement, the Prozoro system, and, and so on. And so, so believe me, uh, our corruption if we concretely talk of the corruption itself, it's not bigger than, for example, you have in Europe, in, in, in new states, I would say, like Poland. So it's at the same level. So it's, it's yes, we have some bribes, 
but also they are captured with uh, uh, special our agencies and so on. The problem of Ukraine is that people treat as a corruption oligarchs. So you see, people confront these words, and the problem of uh, um, uh, transparency international index that this is about the perception of corruption. And believe me, we actually don't have corruption. I don't pay bribes to police, what actually I did before <laughs> the Yanukovych. Uh, so it, 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 it's, I don't pay bribes in, 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 uh, in anywhere. So I actually don't remember me or personal or my, my friends. We can ask, and actually the polls shows, uh, the, the, polls, the polls shows that uh, when you ask people, uh, are we, do we have a corruption? Yes, big corruption, we are a very corrupted state. But when we ask, uh, do, do you personally have a problem with corruption? Less than 15% say yes. So, but the problem is that people consider oligarchs as a corruption. So, and while, while we have a strong oligarchs, while, while they become richer, they consider situation as a most corrupted and more corrupted. So th this is a, a key problem that uh, we confront this uh, words. And what if we say about the oligarchs, it's not about the corruption, it's about the political influence. Yes, because uh, when we say about the Ahmeto, who is the richest person in Europe, uh, he also creates 400,000 job places. So, you cannot just say, okay, we take you in prison, yeah, or something like, like else. And, and here, actually, we, what, what is a key task for the West, and we made the special report on that, the future of Ukrainian oligarchs, and we said there, you don't have to help us with the money. You can make a pressure on the oligarchs, because finally, uh, Renat Akhmeto has bought the palace of uh, Leopold II, the king of uh, Belgium. Yes, he wants to live in Europe. When you will say to him, guy, you can live only in Russia or in China or in Africa or other places, he will start to change his political activity and, and he will start to change his approach. I know one Ukrainian oligarch, uh, Mr. Horoshkovsky, who lives in, in Monaco. He stopped his any political activity to, because he wanted to live in Monaco, <laughs> yes. So, and yeah, and this can be solved only with the, pro, with the support of the West. So the, the, when, when the FBI started investigation against Kolomoisky, he changed his behavior here very quickly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is the best help for us, make a pressure on the oligarchs because they, uh, they drink our blood, but they all the incomes they spend there. So we've covered quite a lot in 40 minutes. Uh, I'm not sure we've solved anything. So I have to ask you, given the issues that Ukraine has faced in recent years, given the issues that it's probably faced for decades after independence, are you hopeful for the future of the country and of Ukrainians? Uh, well, uh, we should look uh, to the history, how the things happened. Uh, uh, you see, uh, the problem of Ukraine is that uh, our failure will be a huge tragedy, not only for us. It all was always like that, because when Russians 
historically got Ukraine, the next they launched the huge wars in Europe and, and, and other things. And so uh, otherwise, uh, if they will not capture us, you will you can have a huge you, you can have a huge Somalia in the middle of the geographical Europe. And, and so we, we are too big to fail. And, and this is a time to understand for the West. Because, uh, for, or for example, we already now uh, is a place for rest for the uh, jihad uh, terrorists. They come to Ukraine for, for, the, for rest. And, and we have these big problems now because uh, they don't do any terrorist things. <laughs> we, we have no data to, to capture them. And they come for rest because we are not expensive country and we quite calm for Muslims and we don't have these problems with Islam and, and other things. So it's the best place for them to have a rest. We don't have FBI and CIA here control and other things. So there is no way uh, not to, to deal with Ukraine. And, and still, uh, still West is seeking the answer. Still we have this uncertain situation. But uh, this situation and what actually, uh, why we're still uh, alive and why we're still uh, continue to be independent, this is because of our people, not because of our state institutions, because of the people. But when we will lose, the situation will change immediately. And uh, I, will, I would not predict that somebody will uh, win from that on the West. Well, I'm gonna hold on to your phrase that Ukrainian people are too big to fail. That will be my hope here. Yeah. For now, uh, Viktor Andrusiv, thank you so much for spending your time with us and with the viewers uh, to talk us through the issues uh, surrounding Ukraine. Let me thank the uh, people at Deep Dive Politics for holding it together uh, and keeping us on air. And let me most of all thank you, dear viewers, uh, for joining me as I learned today. Uh, you can follow Deep Dive Politics on Dive underscore politics on Twitter, on Deep Dive Politics on Facebook. All of our videos are on our YouTube channel. And you could also, if you prefer, listen to the audio version on podcast on Spotify. But for now, stay safe, stay sane, be decent to each other. I'm Scott Lucas, and this has been World Unfiltered. Thank you.